Welcome to the Chemistry Factor Podcast, dedicated to help you consciously inspire your actions in business, no matter what circumstances you're facing, transforming your stress into empowering success. I'm Coach Barney, founder of The Chemistry Factor. For over 25 years, I've worked with hundreds of successful business leaders who have all experienced how poor working relationships and unexpected business setbacks cause the anxiety and stress that weakens your productivity, innovation, and leadership skills. You do not choose to be stressed. It is a reaction, not a decision, that drains your energy, making work hard and less fulfilling. Together, we will discover how to empower your attitude to achieve the greater success and satisfaction you've always wanted in your business, career, and life. My guest today is Mark Sanders, who is a visionary in developing inspired business initiatives with the dedication to implement them into actions that surpass expectations. Mark is a CPA, currently serving as the CFO of Linksys, one of the global leaders in secure wireless networking. He's also on the advisory board of several promising startups, NIAX, a blockchain-driven media buying platform, and Digitet, a data-driven marketing and content agency. Prior to Linksys, for over 20 years, Mark has risen through the ranks as controller, CFO, COO, and CEO with leading global media, public relations, and advertising agencies that are divisions of parent company giants WPP and IPG. Welcome to the show, Mark. It's an honor to have you with me. Thanks so much, Barney. It's uh, it's great to be chatting here with you now. It's good to see you. You have had a very impressive career and continue to take on new challenges. Every leader has their own management style for success. What's yours? Well, you know, it's pretty simple, really. I build a team of smart people, help determine the goals and the destination, and then let them go do it. You know, I I keep the silly stuff and the corporate politics off their plate so they can focus on getting things done and then support them as they need it. It's really that simple. So you're a protector. You don't want them to get involved in all of the Michigas, as I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, there's every every company has... uh, their own flavor of nonsense. And I think, you know, it's my job to, if not thoroughly insulate, then to protect them from some of the day-to-day craziness that can get in the way of the goal. You know, it's so important to focus on the important and not the urgent. And a lot of the silly stuff comes across the transom as urgent. But at the end of the day, when you focus on all the urgent stuff, you don't get to the important stuff. And that's really uh, what hurts a business. Yeah. And by protecting them, you're giving them a little more freedom to, to, to be creative, to do more without having to think of all of the things that get in their way. The racket. I try. Well, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's what you do. I mean, we're all human. It doesn't always work. OK, but for the most no. part. It's a great way to start managing people. They, they have more faith in you that way, don't they? I think so, yeah. 
What story can you share about a peak accomplishment in your career that inspires you? Well, I've been really fortunate that I've worked with some outstanding people and I've had a lot of things that, that I've been proud of. I've taken a company public. I've helped grow companies. I've helped shrink them. I've helped mentor people to become really good executives. But the one thing that stands out to me was a little bit off the, the beaten path of what I was trained for. And that was uh, my involvement in Group M's World Trade Center project. I was the project lead on a 700,000 square foot, 14 floor, 4,200 person build out relocation and change management process. I was responsible for the entirety of the project from the Group M side, from everything from hiring architects and contractors to leading the change management process involving those 4,200 people. And, and, and I was still the Group M CFO uh, for North America at the time and a full plate of responsibilities. And I had no idea how to approach the, the job at hand. You know, you don't they don't train you in accounting classes or, or CFO school for any of that stuff. So nothing prepared me for it. And it was taking like 60% of my time. Now, luckily, I had the help of some very, very talented people at WP, WPP, some of the consultants we hired, but there were hundreds of decisions that had to be made. And unlike the other areas of my responsibility, this work was both urgent and important. Things had to be done in a certain order. So I had to learn about the design and construction issues, and I was making decisions that would affect thousands of people for the entirety of the 20-year lease. Now, of course, when I did this, we had no idea that COVID would happen less than two years after moving. So this, you know, COVID really wasn't a factor. And at the time, we were one of the largest commercial projects happening in New York. And um, the project was done on time and under budget, thanks to the work of, of hundreds of people. And I'm really proud of what we accomplished. And, you know, anybody who's seen the space uh, always comments how, how great it is. Uh, we got lots of coverage in the in the press, and I'll I'll never forget that experience. And since moving to Linksys, I kind of draw on the same learning approach that I use there because I had to learn how to learn something completely different. So I'm using that now to navigate to a new company in a new industry, and it's you know kind of like getting thrown into the deep pool as a as a way of learning how to swim. Yeah, it sounds like courage. <laughs> This takes place here when you're going into the unknown and doing it anyway. That seems to be a value that is really important to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if it was. You don't notice it at the time. You yeah, know, I don't know I'm if it was at courage. From the back, okay. I'm saying to you, when you're doing something you've never done before, there has to be some questions in your mind as to what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it, and you just go through it. So. Maybe it's not courage, but what values stand out in this story that helps define what makes you successful? I think as it relates to that and, and, and anything I, I get involved in, appreciation first and foremost, this was a complicated project and a lot of people put their hearts and souls into it. And I was incredibly appreciative, appreciative of the dedication of the team and the sacrifices they make. And and you know, that, that comes to the forefront when there are setbacks. And in a multi-year, multi-tens of millions, hundreds of million dollar project, there's always setbacks. And there were sometimes things didn't work out. It was no one's fault. You know, stuff just happens. And it's important to remember that results don't always correlate to the effort that's put in. And it's important to remember, you know, it's important to remember when leading a team, 
effort matters and resilience matters. And I was really appreciative. I also think too, for, um, you know, for this, it was, it was a mix of, of humor and, and optimism. We've all been in situations that get so, so crazy that you either have to laugh or cry. Um, we had lots of those moments, you know, missed deliveries, per, uh, permitting issues that delayed progress. And, you know, big construction projects are very linear. Like if, if A doesn't get done, then B can't get done, then C can't get done. So the other thing, and, and this, I, I, I try to carry this into everything. Curiosity is a, is a big thing for me. I was so out of my depth when I first started that project. I was always looking for ways to understand and, and to find connections between what I already knew and what I needed to learn. I was really open about my lack of knowledge. And I, I asked questions with the persistence of a five-year-old. Why this? Why that? And then I'd ask again. And I'm sure people were tired of me asking so many things so many times, much like many five-year-olds. Yeah, it reminds me of my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm not going to tell you that I'm an optimist about every single thing I do, but I, I try to be optimistic even when I'm, I'm, I'm quiet about it. What I learned is that the people paint themselves either as optimists or pessimists. Some, some might even call themselves realists, um, that they're just being realistic about things. I find that odd because realism is very subjective sometimes. So when things were, weren't going to work out sometimes and they were looking doubtful, I tried to convey an optimism to the team because there's always a path to success, you know, in my mind. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not all sunshines and rainbows. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know me well. I can be sarcastic as hell sometimes, but I like to think of it as sarcasm in the service of optimism. Yeah, uh, in the service of, maybe there's a little sense of humor going on there with that sarcasm as well. There might, Rabbit, there might. <laughs> what story can you share that was a disappointment and how did your resilience overcome it? The thing I always think about comes to mind when I, when I think about failure. I was, I was CFO of MEC, which was um, a prior to its name change to Wavemaker, yes. one of the agencies, Group M. By the way, we just interrupt. I did see your project because I did visit Wavemaker and it was amazing. I just want to put that out there. Yeah, uh, the, the, the Wavemaker team did a great job making it very Wavemaker-y. And giving it its own brand identity, you know, just like just like all the other agencies did. So sorry to take you off topic, but I no, just, no, no. I had to share that. No, of course. Thanks. So we were defending a large client in a pitch. And, you know, as CFO, I was in charge of the fee proposal, gathering all the information and putting it together. And this was a global client, multiple offices, different scopes of work around the world, really complicated. We prepared the fee and presented it to the client. Now, I don't know why I did this, but after the submission, I had another finance person in my group take a look at the complica complicated cascade of spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. And shortly after, he came to me and said there was an error. There was an incorrectly linked cell and that we had actually understated the fee by around $3 million. Death by Excel. If we were forced to accept the lower amount, we, we'd lose money on the client. It was... Panic, yeah. sheer panic. I don't know if I made the error. I don't know if somebody on my team made the error, but it didn't matter. I was a CFO. I was accountable for it. I told the US CEO, then the global CEO, the global CFO, 
and the leadership team. And I beat myself up endlessly for this. I felt like I had let the team down. I felt incompetent, but I kept my cool. We had lots of discussions about what to do. Do we tell the client, correct it? Do we just suck up the loss? I mean, it was $3 million. That's not an inconsequential number. I wanted to be honest. I wanted to tell the client what happened and let him decide how to handle it. And if he said too bad, you got to live with it. Well, we wouldn't be in a worse position financially than we were now, other than perhaps we, the agency and me particular looking dumb. I set up a call with the client, which was the next day and, and waiting was torture. I'm not real good when it comes to patience. I know that. And, and I felt like the dumbest, like I said, most incompetent person in the world. And I should have known better. I should have had things triple checked. You know, you go through that rumination in your head where you're just constantly beating yourself up for it. Self-defeating. Yeah, yeah it, it was, but it, it's tough to pull yourself out in the moment. So I had the call with the client. Let, let's call him Bob. So after a bit of small talk, I raised the issue. My voice was, was quivering a bit. I'm not really a voice quivering kind of guy, but I told Bob about the era and there was dead silence. And I'm waiting for him to speak. And I'm seeing this silent movie in my head, watching my career go down in flames. And it's like a greatest hits of all the good and bad things I did. But after about 10 seconds, which you know felt like 10 minutes, of course, Bob said pretty casually, I knew there was something wrong and I was going to call you in order to, but so in order to compare to the other agency submissions, I just added a few million dollars to your number. Wow. So he, he normalized the number. We ended up retaining the client at a fair fee. That's awesome. That's a great story. So I'm going to ask you, if you were thinking about how you built the World Trade Center, what did that feel like? What's the feeling you had when you were going through the process and completing it? It was amazement and wonder, like watching a building of that size go up. I mean, we didn't we didn't build the building. That wasn't my remit, but I was we we were part of the process. We had the privilege of of watching it happen. And I got to meet Larry Silverstein a few times and his team, but actually moving in in the summer of 2018, it was an incredible feeling, just yeah. seeing everything come to life. So it was amazing. What, what the chemistry factor does, just to throw me in a little bit, is have you look at a peak moment like that when you're dealing with what you would term a crisis? And that can take away a lot of that self-defeating, you know, beating yourself up. When you truly know how to embrace it, you're breathing differently, you're smiling to yourself, you know that you, you've got the game and a lot of torture would have not been present. Of course, if the guy had said, no, I'm not going to give you a dime, then you could feel bad. Okay. Where but were you in 2011 time, when I ah, needed this kind of advice? Okay. But you, you get it. And yeah, of course. That, I call it empowering value and you get to choose whatever value that represents for yourself. But when you do that, it makes a difference for you. And I want you to name one thing in your work or life that you want to achieve that is a challenge to attain right now? Life. Well, there work might be something. Okay. There might be same. something in life, but unless you're billing me in 50-minute in hours, uh, those are probably <laughs> for another day with a beer. 
From a work perspective, I want to continue to build Linksys. It, it's a really powerful brand. It has incredible growth potential. Our new products, particularly something called Homework, will be industry-changing and industry-leading. And the, the, the challenge for us, for me, is, is helping a 30-year company evolve out of its comfort zone, try new things, take smart risks based on smart analyses. And, you know, luckily we have a great leadership team and we have a great team overall. We have so many knowledgeable experts. I, I know we'll succeed. Yeah, of course you do. And if you embraced the World Trade Center as you, whenever you have any doubts, they will go away and you will succeed faster in less time. I'm all for that. Cool. All right. You spent a great deal of your career working with large media agencies. From your observations, what changes in the media industry stand out over the last 20 years? You know, the industry has evolved so much, and it, the half-life of, of change is even quicker than it used to be. But you know, to me, the, the two things would be the digitalization of everything, one, and, and two would be the, the friction or the distrust that often permeates the agency-client relationship. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What, 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 what do you think causes that? The friction? And the distrust, a, yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's this notion that agency relationships are a zero-sum game. Somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose. And we all know that's, that's toxic to strategic partnerships. And it, and it often gets in the way of real results because everyone just wants to win on issues large and small. 100%. And, and in order to have a successful relationship, in any relationship, it's critical to know what's important to your partner. So I think, I think things get derailed. And to advertisers, I would say, you know, agencies need to make money, like all businesses. They're made up of great people who want to work really hard and help you deliver great results. There could be disconnects from upper management, but that's always workable. In my experience, agencies, no agency, no agency group I've ever been associated with has ever been trying to screw a client over in any way. Everybody wants to just do good work and deliver results for the clients. So pay your agencies fairly, treat your teams with respect and consideration. Try not to have pitches over holiday breaks. Um, it's very disruptive. <laughs> propose contractual terms that provide clarity but are not punitive, and you're going to get a team that will deliver for you. For agencies, you know, now that I'm on the, on the client side, I have a, a different perspective. For agencies, you might, you might be surprised to learn that your key client contacts have other things to do. All the internal challenges that you have operating in a complex environment, they have too. Plus, they're being evaluated on how well they manage their relationship with you and other agencies and the results that you all deliver. When they don't respond promptly, it's not because they don't care. It's not because they're trying to screw you around. It's just they, they have other things to do. Agencies, you know, make it easy to work with you. There's often a lot of internal power struggles in agencies. In power, maybe power struggles isn't the right phrase. There's a lot of conflicting interests in, in different factions of the agencies Keep that friction away from your clients. If they see it, you've lost. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, I would imagine this has changed the way you personally work in the industry in general. I mean, when you're first moving up, you know, a lot of people want to want, want positions that you want as well. And you know, that that can create 
distrust within an organization, which is the cancer of productivity, innovation, and leadership. Sounds like the value of organization, you know, organizing not just your time, but the time of your clients and vice versa. Now that you're on the client side, makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I, I always try to be respectful of everybody else's time. Everybody's got stuff they have to deal with personally and professionally every day. The work from home life we've had the past couple of years has been great and less great in a lot of ways because you kind of get pulled into to both to both lives more frequently. So staying organized, helping people stay organized, it, it has always been important to me. Now that you're on the client side, dealing with agencies, what do you love about working on the client side? <laughs> well, you know, for me, it's not agency versus client because my approach hasn't really changed all that much. Yeah. Um, it's more about the industry change and the, and the scale of the company. Linksys is smaller than Group M. Sure. Yet it's much more complex due to the challenges of running a technology-based supply chain-dependent business. And- I view my role as driving simplification, driving operational excellence, analytical rigor, and helping to build data foundations and just create an environment where we can embrace change. You get like to choose every- that, though. I mean, you know, with agencies, sometimes they have brilliant ideas and the client will say, nah, we're not going to do it. Well, uh, brilliant ideas is, is always contextual, right? Okay. So if they're brilliant but not fit for purpose, then... Maybe it's too early. Well, no, too late of course. Yeah. yeah, but, uh, you know, there's something about the client side that has a little bit more of the say in what they do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, yeah, I think to your point, I think that the best idea in the best context, perfectly executed, still a chance it's not going to land right at a client for various reasons. But that, I think a lot of that too is about knowing what's important to your client. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you have to stand in their proverbial shoes a bit and not always try to uh, sell what, what the hot topic du jour is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's something that I agree with 100%, relationship chemistry. The better you understand the people you're working with and they understand you, the easier it is to, ve- to develop the relationship that's going to be powerful for both of you. Absolutely. You know, there are a couple questions here I think we've already answered. Okay. (laughs) So globalization of labor and virtual work continues to rise. How do you see it affecting agency and client business success? Well, first, we should stop looking at virtual work as, as an anomaly. You know, as we've seen over the past years, many industry jobs can be done anywhere and at any time of day. And each company will find their own equilibrium point. Um, But I think it should start with what employees need. I totally get why management at some companies would rather their staff be in the office. I think training and development for less experienced staff can suffer otherwise. But everyone should have the opportunity to find out what works best for them. As for agency and, and client success, you know, effective advertising occurs at the intersection of creativity and execution. And employees should decide where they can accomplish both best. So very well put. How do you keep up with changing market trends, especially with regards to supply chain issues? <laughs> well, not as well as I'd like, 
to, to be candid, it's incredibly complicated and changing almost daily. I, I have an advantage that I'm still sort of newish at Linksys. So I get to ask those dumb questions and, and, and be that persistent five-year-old. Um, Curiosity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I like to learn. So more, more often than not, I'll keep my mouth shut and uh, listen more because we have a lot of experts in the company. And uh, that's as I'm saying wise. that- that's very that's that's wisdom. I'm going to personify it as listening instead of speaking. Yeah, I, I I try now. I'm hearing myself say that, and I'm picturing a few members of my current and former team laughing right now when they hear this, <laughs> thinking, "Wait a second, this is him being quiet." <laughs> so you know, maybe maybe it's it's an aspiration and less of a, a daily destination, but it's not a not from lack of trying. Another way I, I keep current is I read a lot. So I'm always on the lookout for, for relevant things, uh, not only supply chain or, or market trends, but in a supply chain driven world, macroeconomic issues matter. Advertising, you know, to put my old hat on, has, has always been a lagging indicator of the economy to my eyes, mm-hmm. except in catastrophic situations like COVID. So understanding the larger picture in the economy is really critical. And I'm sure you have a network of people who you can call on that would be there to support you because you've nurtured it. Absolutely. And I'm incredibly grateful for those people. And, you know, I always take the call when people, when I can help somebody. And I'm really lucky that almost everybody takes my call when I have a question. Oh, that's great. (laughs) I like, look at the smile you have on you. I got to tell you that says a lot about knowing, you know, when, when you're in a crisis or something's going wrong or you, you, you miscounted 3 million, know, knowing there are people there that are going to help and support you and give you advice because they care. Yep. That's awesome. exactly right. Awesome. You've had great success in climbing the career ladder. How do you measure career and life success? I guess for me, it, it would career and life success would, would have to include a couple of things. A life of, of continuous learning, helping people when I can, the ability to maximize the time with the, the people I love doing the things that I love. It's not easy. You know, nothing worth getting ever is. And sometimes there are trade-offs that have to be made, but you make what you can of it because I, I think you can craft your own reality. And you know, some money would be nice too. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you a little bit. All right. Nothing that's worth getting is ever easy. I would suggest that with the right attitude, it can be a lot easier and again take a lot less time to achieve. You know, if you're thinking of it as looking at the destination, yeah, and you keep looking to get to the end result, that's when work gets really hard. Yeah. 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 And if you have destinations that you want to reach. And here's the word that you used before that you say you don't have that. I know you have, you just forgot where to find it. Patience. (laughs) Okay. I think I got to go to the lost and found for that one. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, with patience, you know, it's sometimes things worth having can be easy. I mean, your children's love. Is that hard? No, it's not hard, but it means spending time with them when they want to spend time. And that involves trade-offs and that involves 
schedule managing. Listen, my kids are teenagers now, so they barely want me. But well, there uh, you go. And, so but that's what I'm trying to say. Here. Time heals. That is not hard to have. That doesn't mean love is interpreted to be with with them 24 seven 365. Right. But right. I'm just pointing it out because it's a, a conversation you have with yourself that could get in your way of productivity. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. We should talk about that offline. <laughs> okay. I'd be happy to. Yeah. We all have them, by the way. Anyone that says they don't, they just don't know they have them. <laughs> Name one leader in business who you follow and admire. It'd be easy to say somebody like Elon Musk or, or Jeff Bezos. And there's certainly people worth admiring. They're, they're the home runs, so to speak, of success. But I, I view success more of a, a series of, of singles and doubles and not necessarily the home runs. So I have incredible respect for the people who day in and day out do their jobs well without complaints or drama. You know, everybody knows people like this. Everyone's struggling every day with something. And these folks just keep coming back and getting it done. And they're admirable too. I'm very lucky that I have people I work with now that way. I have, I've had people um, I've worked with in the past that way. They, they just keep coming at it, you know, regardless of the setback. So they're inspiring. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's exactly it. They're, they're inspiring. And, you know, inspiration can be contagious. Yeah. And there's a lot talk about the everyday hero. And there are so many of them. And they don't even realize they're heroes. But they are. And you, you'd be one of them, okay? That's very um, nice, but... Well, no, 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 you see, there you were about to say, well, not really, Barney, you don't know me. Well, of course I know you. And of course you are. We all are in our own way. And that is one way to connect with people, looking at it from that perspective. When you're meeting someone for the first time, being curious as to what makes this person the everyday hero. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I'm going to start doing it. (laughs) Uh, What words of wisdom can you share with our listeners on how to succeed in achieving career success? Well, two things, I guess. Two things that have have worked for me. The first is be, be curious. Wherever you are, whatever company you're in, There are experts in your field right now across a wide variety of areas. Have a coffee with them, have a beer, ask what they're working on that's interesting, ask what's frustrating them. You have a great opportunity to learn from them. I I don't feel that I did enough of that as much as I I could have. And you know, don't don't be afraid to ask the stupid questions. You're, you know, you're not really gonna look stupid anyway, but even if you did, so what? You'll have learned something. Most people are flattered when you ask for their opinion of something. And and if you do enough of that, all that disparate knowledge that seems random or at the time, or even a little pointless, you'll start being able to connect the dots of all those disparate ideas and concepts. And you can actually synthesize it in your head into something new. And then you start thinking of things in different ways. And that's where it really gets into interesting. And, and, you know, Elon Musk has been doing that his entire career. So, the curiosity is is really important to me. And the, the second, I think, is, is to stay connected. It's easy to become disconnected from people, especially professionally, because everyone's so busy all the time. You know, we were talking about before reaching 
reaching out to people, the people that mattered in school, the people that mattered in previous social settings and previous jobs, they're, they're all still relevant. I'm always happy to hear from people. And like I said before, I, I reach out to folks as often as I can. So I'd suggest that people who are listening, reach out to someone you haven't spoken to in a while. I bet they'll be glad to hear from you. And, and you never know what you might learn or be able to share. They may know the perfect job or the perfect contact for you, or you may be able to be the perfect contact for them or someone they know. So, you know, ask the question, make the call, have the coffee. You're preaching the chemistry factor. That's part four in the book, which says nurture your network. And it's not hard. I mean, it's as simple as, you know, I see a couple of uh, LinkedIn uh, posts that say, oh, today's so-and-so's anniversary at work. Congratulations, period. Good on you. Uh, great great to see you, see you alive or whatever. But it just takes a quick 30 seconds and you're done. And the more you do that, the more you're going to feel good about yourself and the people are going to feel good about themselves as well. Uh, Absolutely. Very wise. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm pretty much done here, but uh, wondering if there's anything else you'd like to add or, you know, we could call us, we could call us done. And by the way, I get to edit this whenever I want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think we've, we've hit a lot of uh, interesting things. You've given me, you've given me some interesting things to think about as, as you always do. And as, as you've always done over the, God, it's got to be 15 years we've we've known each other, maybe even more at this point. So I, I really off. appreciate the time. Uh, oh, yeah, then probably goes back even further. Yeah, uh, it was really great chatting, and I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, share some ideas with you and your and your audience. Thank you. I appreciate your time, and uh, it's always good to see you. Same here, so, Barney. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and recommend The Chemistry Factor to your friends. If you would like to connect with me on social media, reach out to Barney Feinberg on LinkedIn. To connect with me directly, email barney at thechemistryfactor.com. Until next time, empower your business success every day.